Well, I'm going to uh, continue a series that I've shared a little bit of with you here at Blessings, and um, certainly um, at Mercy, we walked through the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. So I'm going to finish my series here with, here with you, the last few verses of the book, uh, Living Between the Advents of Christ. Now, I do apologize. Uh, on two points, actually, I'm going to apologize. Uh, on the one, uh, a number of Mercy people have actually heard this, if they were attending or listening last week. I hope they were. Um, and secondly, the text that I've chosen as a reading text for this, um, or a supportive text for this sermon, is actually a, a passage that Pastor Bill is going to preach on uh, next Sunday. That's not a prophetic word. Um, he did preach that message this morning at Mercy. So don't go online to find it, um, but listen to it carefully next Sunday. It was a beautiful sermon, but I'm going to actually use the same reading and draw some beautiful truths, um, pillaging a little bit even from his sermon possibly, um, this evening. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke, and this is the story of Simeon. Um, he graces the pages of Scripture for just a brief moment. Um, people know who he is because of what he's done. And so we're going to just read a, a few verses from uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. And there we find these words. Now there, were, there was a man in Jerusalem... Uh, called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for, for him what was the custom of the law of the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, our text, our passage for this evening in connection to that is actually taken from um, the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, and we're going to just read a few verses from that letter in connection to our message tonight. So 1 Thessalonians 5, the, verses 19 through 28. And there we find these words, Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So this evening, I want to just look at three different things. It's a bit eclectic, this ending of the, of the book of Thessalonians, but I think there's some powerful truths that we can grab from this and, and words of exhortation, you could say. So I want to look at three things this evening, a warning, a prayer, 
and a blessing, a warning, a prayer, and a blessing. As we live our life uh, between the advents of Christ, his first coming and his uh, second coming, let's begin with a warning. And the warning is found in the verses 19, uh, 20, 21, and 22. There we read, do not quench the spirit. That's where the warning begins. Do not quench uh, the spirit. And, and by the word quench, he means do not extinguish the spirit's fire. Like you go and extinguish a fire after you've gone camping. You've, you maybe have done that. You take a bucket of water from the, from the lake and you douse the fire because you do not want it to, I don't know, burn the bush. Don't do that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift given to God's people to regenerate them, to, to make them realize that they are sinners and they need salvation. The gift of the Holy Spirit is to, is to fire up our faith, you could say, to encourage us through the hard times and through the good times, to draw us closer to Christ. The gift of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy, to conform us, to make us like Christ. And Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit's work within you. And you ask, well, how, how can I do that? How can I quench the Holy Spirit's work? Well, Paul says, here's one way that you quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with uh, contempt. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now you have to understand that we are in the New Testament era where God spoke his revealed will through a prophetic ministry, the prophetic ministries of the apostles, the prophetic ministries of, of evangelists, even the Philip had four daughters who had a prophetic ministry. Uh, you can read about that in Acts chapter 21. These prophetic ministries were directed by God for the strengthening of the church. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. It says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And what Luke wants to do in the story of Simeon is prove to the church and to Mary and Joseph and to all those who are listening that what Simeon spoke was a prophetic ministry. And what Simeon spoke had to be listened to, had to be adhered. And to prove that, what, 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 what Luke does is show us that it was totally the work of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy and the Holy Spirit, if it's from God, has to be involved. And so we read in, in chapter 2 of Luke, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. Verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's for the consoling of Israel, the comfort of Israel. You'll learn about that next week. But here it comes. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple's court. And the Holy Spirit gave him a prophetic word when he held Jesus in his hands. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. When God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through his messengers, receive it. As from the Lord, believe it and let it nourish, refresh, guide your soul. And so Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon had said about this boy, Jesus, that he would be the light to the Gentiles, he'd be the glory of Israel, that he would be cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, and he would pierce Mary's heart. They marveled at this truth. And so must the church, so must the church of Jesus Christ. But Paul's quite aware that where there is prophecy, prophetic ministries, there are also false ministries, false prophetic ministries, you could say. 
It says, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good. Test them all, hold on to what is good. And, and I like what the Anglican theologian, John Stott, I think one of, one of Pastor Bill's favorite theologians, he, he said this, he says, Whenever, wherever God establishes a church, the devil erects a chapel. And wherever the Holy Spirit brings a true prophet upon the scene, the deceiver presents his false prophet. The devil's working hard to undermine prophetic ministry, the prophetic ministry of Christ. And that's why Paul says, test the spirits. Test them all. Hold on, he says, to what is good. It's your call to evaluate. And the question is, then, is this from God or from another source? And, and if it's from God, then you need to believe it. And, and, and quite frankly, we are called to the same ministry of testing the spirits. You say, well, pastor, we live in a different time as the time of Paul. And it's true. In the time of Paul, the New Testament hadn't been canonized. We hadn't completed the Old Testament. And New Te- well, the Old Testament was completed. The New Testament hadn't been completed yet. And so until its completion, there was a lot of prophetic ministry. The Holy Spirit was revealing himself, revealing the will of God through a prophetic ministry. But with the completion of the New Testament, we believe the prophecies changed from declaring new revelation to declaring the completed revelation that God had already given. And so that scripture, not, scripture, not prophecy, has supreme authority in the church of Jesus Christ. We hold this canon as closed, that this is the God's revealed will for his church. And yet, in some sense, you could say the prophetic ministry continues, not the same way, in a different way, in a derived way. I hold, you can say, a prophetic ministry. Any pastor, any preacher of the gospel is taking God's word and declaring God's revealed will to you through his word. That's a prophetic ministry. And as we do this, it's a very dangerous calling because as we do this, you as listeners have to, have to test the spirits, test every spirit. Is what he's saying true or false? The Bereans, the church in, 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 in the book of Acts, you know, listened to Paul and then they went back to the scriptures and said, is, is Paul saying what the scriptures is saying? He's a messenger. So must you. But it seems this testing of the Spirit extends past just what the preacher is saying because in some ways, all of us have a prophetic role, a prophetic ministry. We confess in one of our our confessions that we hold the office as prophet, priest, and king. And and as prophet, um, just like Christ, when we confess his name, when we confess Jesus' name, we are holding a prophetic office. So when we share the gospel, or when people share it with us, when we tell our neighbors about Jesus, when we teach our children, there's room for lies to enter in the interpretation of the scripture. We have to test the spirits. I'm ministering to a friend down the street on, in Parkdale, and um, I think he's coming to know Jesus. My prayer is that he's coming to know Jesus, but he's getting a lot of his theology, interestingly, from TikTok. Like, seriously, yeah, seriously. And he keeps sending me these little TikTok clips of things that he's learned about Christ, about Christmas, about Easter, about the resurrection, about all these things, about the authority of Scripture, about the, you know, whatever. He's sending me all these TikTok things, and, and he's saying, um, what are you going to do with this, Pastor Ian? And almost every single one of them, 
I've realized, and I don't want to undermine every single one of them, but most of the ones that he's sending to me are false prophets. And most of the time, these guys, who are, at least the ones that he's sending to me, are just looking for clickbait. You know what clickbait is? Is that when you send out something, all you want people to do is like it or share it. It doesn't matter if it's true or not, as long as, it, as, long as it's sensational or, or provocative. So he's sending me very provocative statements from, from under, undermine scripture, undermine who Jesus is, and, and, and it's all clickbait. Yesterday I said to him, I said, um, thank you for sending me this thing on Christmas. Um, you did exactly what this guy wants you to do. He's provocative. He doesn't, doesn't have any, his sources are all over the map. He doesn't even have any sources. All he wants you to do is share it with me. That's what he's, he's won. I said to him, we had to test this according to the truth of Scripture. And it's taken me a lot of time to kind of unpack all the lies and tell them the truth. But the Lord, the Lord is telling us in his word right now, you need to test the spirits until the day of Christ's return because there's going to be false spirits out there teaching you false doctrine. And the church of Jesus Christ has to be careful. One way to quench the spirit is to undermine the gospel. Is the gospel preaching? Is, the, what, is what's being shared to you declaring the incarnation that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us? Is what is being talked to you proving that your salvation is found solely in Jesus Christ by faith through grace in Christ alone? Is this showing that you need salvation and you cannot add one breath to your salvation? Test the spirits. Is this gospel or not? Test everyone who stands on this pulpit for God's sake. Paul says reject every, reject every kind of evil. And he's speaking about lies that enter into the church of Jesus Christ. That's a warning. That's a pretty hard warning for the church. But he moves from a warning to a blessing. Sorry, he moves from a warning to a prayer. And the prayer is beautiful. He has a number of prayers in this letter. And the prayer begins in verse 23. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He moves from a defense of the work of the Holy Spirit and prophetic ministry to the work of holy living. I hope you draw the connection. The revealed will of God is to help his children live holy lives. God, our Father, is passionate about our holiness, every one of us. I like what John Piper says about this. He says, in choosing you, his purpose was your holiness. In predestining you, his purpose was your holiness. In dying for you, his purpose was your holiness. In calling you, his purpose was your holiness. And I would add, in preparing you for his second coming, his purpose is your holiness. God is passionate about your holiness. Pastor Bill, I'm just going to share one little clip from Pastor Bill's sermon. Okay, just one. Pastor Bill made an astute comment about Simeon this morning. We talked about it afterwards. It says in verse, I think, 25 of Luke chapter 22, it says that Simeon was a devout and righteous, or he was righteous and devout. He was a holy man seeking God's will for his life. He was a devout and righteous man. But look at what it says right after that. He was, who was righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what Pastor Bill pointed out this morning 
is that his holiness was his waiting. He was waiting. That defined his devotion. He was waiting. That defined his righteousness. And I want to just flesh that out even a little bit more. I believe that as we wait for the second coming, that waiting is part of this holiness. As we wait and worship, we worship while we wait. We worship while we wait. That's a devout Christian life, that you're worshiping even while you're waiting. You're saying, God, I give you all the glory. I'm waiting for you with great expectation, but I'm going to worship you with heart, soul, and mind. That's what it means to live a holy life. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants every fiber in our body, every action, every thought fully devoted to him in holiness as we wait for his coming. Now, just, just quickly, because some theologians move into this text and think that, the, that we have a, this tripartite reality between the body, the soul, and the spirit. I don't think Paul is going there. I don't think he's splitting the soul and spirit here in our text. I think what he's saying is what we read also in the Old Testament when it, calls, when it calls us to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. He's saying, now I want you to love God in holiness with, with your soul and your spirit and your body, a comprehensive picture that we're fully devoted to the Lord. In Hebrew, it was the kadosh Yahweh. Holy to the Lord, the priests were. That's us. That's what we're called to be. Holy to the Lord. And, and I just want to share two thoughts on this before we move on to our last point. That brought me great hope as we wait for Christ's coming. The first is what Paul begins with, this holiness to the Lord. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. I don't think he was just playing around with words when he put in there the God of peace. Here's why. Because unless we have the foundation of peace that is between us and God, there is no way for us to live a holy life. He's called a God of peace because he procured our peace. The whole gospel of salvation is Jesus coming, and, and by his coming and his death and resurrection, he's reconciling us to the Father so that there's peace with God. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You, there's no business, you have no, no hope in living a life, if you do not have peace with God, all your good actions, all your good deeds, all the things that you think, you know, I'm just living this holy life. If you don't have that foundation, if you're not built on the solid rock that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, all that holiness is seen as unbelief. It's damnable. We need peace with God. You know, it's very interesting. When Simeon took the baby Jesus and held baby Jesus in his hands, I think I have a picture of this, um, held baby Jesus in his hands, Maybe something like this. <laughs> Maybe not. But when Simeon grabbed the baby Jesus, this is what he said in verse 29. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now let your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You get that? 
I can depart in peace because I am holding the author of my salvation in my hands. I know that I can enter into your glory and I have peace with you because of what he is going to do. He's going to author my salvation. He's going to die for me on the cross. And not just for me, but for the world. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the author of my salvation. Let me go. I, I can go now. I, I have peace with you. I, have, I know that I, I, I will be accepted into your holy court on account of this child. Nothing has changed, loved ones. Nothing has changed. You should be able to say exactly the same thing. I've seen your salvation completed on the cross through faith. I have peace with God. I can depart in peace. Take me now. Any day that you're waiting for Christ's return, you should be able to say, I have peace with God. You can take me now. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. And then he says these words. He says um, in, in our text, he goes on to talk about the fact he goes on to say that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You know, that brought me a lot of comfort today or as I prepared the sermon. I'm quite aware that the calling in Scripture to live a holy life and only the holy will see God. Without holiness, you cannot please the Lord. Those are very high call. That's a high calling of Scripture. That's where the bar is set. Be, be holy as I am holy, the Scripture says. And I reflected on my own life, and I'm like, well, I have a lot of moral failure in my life. There's a spring in me that still produces sin every day, that tempts me that I have to fight against every single day. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I fall. And as a pastor, I hear of stories of people falling and, and moral failure, and, and they're struggling, and they cry, and they say, I don't want to live this life of addiction, or I don't want to live this pursuit of this sin. Save me, oh God. Paul says, you know, he's like a mind reader. He says, he says, the one who calls you is faithful. You see that? That brought me so much hope. He doesn't say you are faithful and you're going to do it. No, the one who calls you, and this is in the present tense, that means he's calling you every day. He's calling you into a life of holiness, into a life of worship, into a life of waiting. But he is calling you, and the one who calls you is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never disappoint you. He will be there through the thick and thin. And when you fall, he will still be there. If you confess your sin and you turn back to him and say, oh, God, forgive me. He closes, and the one who calls you will be faithful. And he, 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 our Savior, will do it. This is the gospel. He is sanctifying us through and through so that we will be holy and ready to meet our Lord. Here's, here's a blessing. I'll close with this just quickly. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I'm going to skip over the other parts. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. You can search that one out. I charge you before the Lord to save, to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. That's pretty clear. And then it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all God's people say. But I'm not done yet, so don't say that. He's saying, I'm, going to, I'm ending with grace. Because you understand that the whole of the Christian life is under the umbrella, the 
you can say, of grace. He's calling his people to action. He's calling us to holy living. He's calling us to be prepared for Christ's coming. He's calling us to test the spirits. He's calling us to, be, to, to worship while we wait. He's calling us to do all of that. There's a lot of exhortation in this letter. It's a beautiful letter full of a lot of great exhortation. But what equips us and continues us, allows us to continue on this race until we meet our Savior is the grace of Almighty God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Simeon, going back to him, met grace incarnate. He was grace incarnate. He, he, he is a visible picture of God's grace, a gift to us that we do not deserve. It moved him so deeply, he said, I'm ready to go now. How does the grace of God move you? Have you seen through the eyes of faith his grace poured out to you, his gift of love given to you? Have you seen him on the cross? Have you seen him resurrected? Have you seen him ascended? Have you seen him ascended in, in glory? Now, do you understand that he's with you and that his grace is sufficient for you, each one of you? This is ours today. The gift is ours today. This grace has not dried up. This grace is still abundant. And we need this grace. You know, I called this series... Um, unshakable hope. And it, it, was a, it was something that we kept going back to as I preached. Not every Sunday, but most Sundays. I just want to close with this. You know, as we prepare for Christ's return, as we live the holy life that he has called us to live on the foundation of peace that he has established between us and the Father, we can have and in fact, we do have this unshakable hope. It's the same spirit that filled Simeon. It, it's ours. It's an undivided, unshakable hope that we have. And I believe today, as he has done in the past, I believe the Lord is shaking this world and shaking their hope. I meet a lot of people who just are so concerned about the future, and, and some of them are despairing. So in a materialistic world, there's, there's so much counterfeit hope that people are holding on to as they wait. For what? I don't know. But sometimes we fall into the same trap that we hold on to all this counterfeit hope as we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. And the Lord shakes that like a towel at the beach. And all the sand goes off because it's not, it's not enduring hope. Your RSPs cannot save you on the day of days. Your mutual funds are not going to save you. Your, your investment in your house and your car. Don't put your hope in things that are just going to fly away. It's shakable. It's movable. It won't last. And so when you hold hope to that and that hope disappears, you have nothing. People put their hope in their children. They put their hope in their marriage. And they put their hope in their family. And they put their hope in that it's gone. And their hope is gone. That was not God's plan for your life. The God's plan for your life is that you have this unshakable hope as you wait the coming of the Lord Jesus. 
And that unshakable hope, loved ones, is the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of ages, cleft for me and you. You can build your life on that hope, on the person of Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of your peace. He's the source of your holiness. He's going to be faithful through the end. His grace is upon you, and he is with you. And so my charge and my call out to you today is, is to ask this question, who have you, what or who have you put your hope in? If you haven't put your hope in Jesus Christ, do it before it's too late. He is the conquering king. He's the victor over death. He's the one who's going to consummate this world. He's going to bring in a new world. He's going to let us live forever with him. Put your hope in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that Christ is our only hope in life and death, that without him we have no enduring hope. Every other type of hope is shakable. And it will just like sand at a beach, it will just fly away and we'll just run after it, but we won't be able to grasp it. It's gone. God, help us, help us, help us to put our hope firmly and solely in Jesus Christ with our heart, soul, and mind. And God, as we do that, as we put our hope in you, help that transform our hearts so that we walk in holiness because of the object of our hope, who is Christ. Conform us to become more like Christ as we wait on him. Conform us to become more like the one we hope in. And be glorified in our lives, we pray. Individually and as your church, be glorified. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name.